as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sakes, but you are wise in Christ. So he goes back to this sort of um, gentle sarcasm as he did in verse 8. And he said, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. And verse 11, to, pre to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, yet we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we plead, we have been made, and that's a strong, this, this verse is very strong, we have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but their power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And that is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 21, he finishes off by saying, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? It's, it's absolutely brilliant, this passage. Um, and there are basically four divisions in this one. In verses um, nine, uh, he's he's real. There, there are four divisions, and and there's alliteration here. They all start with the letter C. So in verse nine, Paul is emphasizing his commitment to this church and his authority in this church. And in verses ten to thirteen, there's a passage there that he emphasizes um, the, the compassion that he has for them and the, the fact that he is correct in everything that he says and therefore there should be no basis for argument. And in 14 to 16, it's his concern for them as these believers as he has begotten them in the spirit. And in verses 18 to 21, it's... He's stating that he is coming to them because he is genuinely concerned about them. And as their spiritual father, he loves them as God loves them. And that was a point I was trying to make on Sunday uh, in the, in the uh, message on Sunday that, you know, we looked at some of the amazing miracles that God has done um, for Israel in protecting them in certain situations. Um, but, 
your father in heaven loves you just as much as he loves Israel. And Paul is emphasizing that he loves the Corinthian believers for all of their faults. He has a fatherly love to them. And in Ephesians 4, um, verse 11, I think if we've got that, um, Eric, if we can bring that up, this is the basis um, that, he, that he applies to every church. And he himself, this is anyone's position in a church, is not something that they've earned through a seminary, a Bible college, or a university, or whatever. This is a position that he has, that God himself, through Jesus, has given to his servants in the churches. And he, in Ephesians 4.11, you see that. And he himself gave some to be apostles, like Paul and Peter and James and John and and some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers. In some uh, translations, that's pastor teachers. But here he says pastors and teachers, but it should be combined. And uh, so in verse 9, uh, Paul says, this is his commitment to them, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last. And so Paul is emphasizing that even though they are called as apostles and have that authority, that they were given um, um, foreknowledge of the mysteries of God, which they are then um, responsible to pass on to every believer that comes to them for training and for edification. And so he's saying that even though we are apostles, he thinks and, and is suggesting to the, the Corinthians uh, in, in the church that the apostles, rather than being first and being elevated, he considers them the last. And he considers himself as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. And though that phrase, condemned to death, is, is in the Greek, is something that they used to use for people who were, who were condemned to go to the Colosseum in Rome and be sent to, the, to their death uh, through meeting the, you know, the wild animals in the Colosseum. And this is very strong imagery that Paul is using here, that we consider ourselves as men condemned to death because we face incredible trials throughout our, um, our life as messengers from God and sent to preach the gospel to all men. And Paul is an amazing example of that because he was saved on the road to Damascus. Uh, after that, he went back down to Arabia to the, really to the area of Sabbatia, which would be Eastern Jordan today. And he was personally instructed by Jesus uh, and, and trained uh, in, in this in Christian doctrine that he had to, and he felt compelled to, to go all around uh, Asia Minor through Macedonia and into Greece and finally to Rome uh, and preach everything that he had been given by God. So there is no boasting in Paul as far as him being worthy of, of, of this station and this privilege that God gave him. But in being this, he considers himself the least in any hierarchy that people want to consider in the church. And he considers himself almost condemned to death 
for we have been made a spectacle. And that's another thing that, that uh, Paul uses first century uh, imagery for, because as a spectacle, it once again, ref, ref, once again refers to the Colosseum where you have thousands of people watching these poor people down on the basis, on the ground, being attacked by these animals. And it's like their entertainment, it's just unbelievable. Um, I, I've seen some movies where they try and, and um, um, replicate this, but I'm sure that nothing comes close to what it was in reality. And Paul is saying that, that uh, and he, he emphasizes this later on in this particular passage. And there are other um, um, passages where he reinforces the, that, this very same thing. And if we can go to um, Matthew 16, verse 24, it's very interesting that not only is Paul emphasizing the fact that being a witness for God in this world, and particularly in a place like Athens and Corinth, you take your life in your hand. But Jesus himself re really emphasized the, the, the reality of being a preacher for him in this world where, where the, the world by nature is opposed to the gospel. It is, it is um, you know, friendship with God is enmity with the world and friendship with the world is enmity to God. There's a division there. And it takes the Holy Spirit uh, working in the, in the lives and conscience, consciences of men to actually bridge that. But what Paul considers himself um, um, required to do is, is exactly what Jesus warned them to do in, in Matthew 16, 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And the cross, remember we, we uh, looked at that uh, a couple of Sundays ago, the cross is emphasized in Isaiah 53. It's to be despised and rejected um, and, and condemned uh, and, and really... Uh, Paul's hitting these people in Corinth because they're puffed up, they're vain, they're, they're trying to climb over one another for ecclesiastical power, for position within a church. And Paul is trying to say there is no such thing within the Christian church that every believer is on the same level as everyone else, but each person has been given a different gifting. And, you know, we're on, we're on a, a Zoom Bible study tonight because we've got some very talented people in the church who technically know how to produce these um, sessions. And so just because I'm sitting here um, I'm teaching you the scriptures, I couldn't do it without the people that you can't see behind the scene um, doing these things for me and on behalf of everyone here on the Zoom tonight. And, you know, that, that I want to really emphasize that, that everyone is equal. And even on a Sunday, when we come to church on a Sunday, there are so many things that need to be done. And, and Sue and I, my wife and I, we pitch in and we do all our bits, but there's a whole team of people that come to the church early and get everything set up 
everything adjusted. So without the whole team, nothing ever happens. And, and you know, one of my favourite commentators uh, says, and he's been um, preaching and teaching and counselling pastors for over 40 years, and one of the biggest things that he has to confront time and time again are pastors who think that the congregation is there to serve the pastor. And Paul is saying, no, it's totally the opposite. The pastor is a servant of God there to serve the congregation. And that has always been my ethos in, in whatever I've done when I've been leading um, Christian groups. Uh, and and I, I think I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, in there are two churches in the seven churches to Revelation, Smyrna and Ephesians, where God has nothing to say negative about those churches, but he mentions a group in both churches where he says he, there are the groups of the Nicolaitans, which you reject, and I also hate. And Nicolaitans is a Greek term. There's two Greek words in there, Nico, which means to rule over, and Laetans means to the people. And Jesus himself is passionately against these people because a, it, it leads to a professional clergy that have no right to be in that position because we are all together in one body of Christ. And he's, he, he emphasizes that at the end of chapter 3 where he says, all of us belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to the Father. And that's the only division within the body of Christ. And he's, he's really hammering this. And in Galatians, we've also heard another verse that emphasizes this, Galatians 2.20. And Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been, you're right, Eric. Is it going? Oh, yeah, okay. My screen's gone blank, but it doesn't matter. Um, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of, Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what Paul is saying there is that if Christ gave everything of himself for the church and for Paul, then Paul says it's incumbent on him to give everything that he has to the body of Christ and give it back to Jesus. So there's this reciprocity. And so it's totally against this, this problem that is in the Corinthian church where people are seeking to elevate themselves above, above the laity. And we carry on here, and Paul emphasizes this in, in 1 Corinthians verse 10. He said, we are fools for Christ's sake. And he stings them with this comment that you are wise in Christ, and that's sarcasm. He said, we are weak, and that word is feeble, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. And in verse 10, at the start of verse 10, he said, we are fools for Christ's sake. And it's in 1 Corinthians 18, 21. We go back there just, just briefly because it's to re-emphasize what Paul was, was um, looking at in that. Uh, and he established this before for this, this message to the Corinthian church. And he's writing this from Ephesus, and he's on his way back to Corinth. Um, and in verse uh, 18 of 1 Corinthians 1, For the message of the cross is foolishness 
to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And in verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer or the, the intellectual debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through, the, through wisdom did not know him, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So he's re-emphasizing that passage both here. He said, we are weak, we are fools, but you consider yourselves strong. You consider yourselves distinguished. And this is, this is something that he has to cut down because in, in chapter 5 and chapter 6, and there on in, he gets into the nitty-gritty of what's wrong with this church. And in verse 11, he says, To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are poorly clothed. In, in some translations, you'll have naked and beaten and homeless. And I prefer the word beaten um, to be replaced by the word buffeted. And it is in some of your translations. Because buffeted is not the same as to be physically beaten, but um, some of the commentators maintain that to be buffeted this way is to be suffering from trials in your own life while you are engaged in ministry. And I don't think there's many people in our church that aren't facing trials and difficulties but we're still fellowshipping, we're still preaching, we're still um, putting things together. And uh, one of the things that, um, that uh, was pertaining to this one is when Paul was saying in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, uh, if we can go there, uh, Eric, and it's Paul declaring that he was also being buffeted by a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. And, you know, Daryl will understand that. Anyone else who has led Christian um, fellowships uh, over any period of time, you know that you are getting beaten up by the enemy because they don't want you to do the job and they don't want you to teach the Bible and they don't want you to edify the saints for the work of the church. And in verse 7, he says... Paul was saying, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, this is what Jesus gave to him um, in personal uh, tutelage, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And I'm sure um, if I could see uh, Daryl on the, on the screen now, he'd be nodding, nodding. You get knocked around if you're the pastor of a church because um, A, it's there to keep you humble and B, it's for um, often in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it actually says that the trials that we endure are for our maturing in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, the writer to Hebrews in that passage is saying, for a short time, the trials that we endure are not 
to, uh, we don't enjoy them, we don't uh, ask for them, we don't uh, look forward to them, but ultimately as we endure them and we get through them, the, the writer says that they yield a harvest of peace, peaceful righteousness. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at the faces on the screen now of people in our um, congregation who are going through buffeting and going through uh, trials. And, uh, you know, I've been through my own set of trials in the last couple of years. But I tell you what, it brings you closer to Jesus because you need to be on your knees all of the time seeking his strength and his wisdom and his power and his insight to do the work of, of um, leading a Christian fellowship and also for you guys to be able to um, take the knowledge that you are given through reading the scriptures and to, from, from learning from um, pastor teachers to take the information that you give and to take it out into the world. And can I tell you something? It's really quite profound. Remember a couple of uh, weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, two people in our congregation had amazing um, um, situations where people that they had known for some time uh, who had no interest in Christianity whatsoever because of the times that we're living in came to both my wife and another person in the, in the congregation and said, I don't understand what's going on. And my wife said and responded, well, it's all in the Bible and it's in these passages. And so that led to the, the, the Holy Spirit just grabbing this person. And, and this person said, my wife, please tell me I want to know. And after about three quarters of an hour, she led her in the prayer of repentance. And, and, uh, and ever since then, she's just been hungry for all of the Christian material that Sue's been giving her. And yet another day, today was another fantastic day. This is why we come together. This is why, um, um, you know, all you wonderful people on the screen, this is why we do this, because we get equipped to do the job of witnessing to people. And my wife today had lunch with one of her very best Jewish friends who's not saved, but is, is always asking Sue, why are these things happening and, what, and, and what's going on? And Sue had lunch with her today and Sue told her all about the scriptures that we were looking at last uh, week on um, uh, it's Sunday. And she told her all of the things that are happening in Ezekiel 38, 39. And she said, you know, I, and I won't say her name because I think she is asking to come online on, on Sunday, which is amazing. Her and her husband are going to be a Jewish unsaved couple coming online and they want to watch um, CCP on Sunday. It's amazing. But Sue was able to um, witness to her to so powerfully that she actually asked for the, the website so that she can watch us on Sunday. And Sue said, um, why don't your rabbis tell you this? And she didn't have an answer. She said, they just go around the Tanakh every year, the same passages, the same week, every year, and they don't tell us about prophecy. 
They don't tell us about end times. They don't tell us what's going to happen in Israel. They don't tell us what's going to happen to us as Jewish people. And so Sue spent over an hour and, and a quarter today witnessing to her. And when she came out, I was waiting outside to pick Sue up. When she came out, she came straight over to me and asked me a whole bunch of questions about Ezekiel and about Zechariah and about Joel and about Isaiah. And, and uh, she was just, she just stood there and she just, just drank the whole lot in. And so, you know, when I was driving away, Sue and I just looked at each other and I thought, this is what it's all about. Not only do we, do, do we witness to our own families and to our friends and workmates, but it's a buzz to get unsaved Jews to just stand there and just lap up what you have to say about uh, what's in their scriptures. And, and I've said to you before um, on, on several occasions that um, for the uh, seven years that I was volunteering at the Jewish home, I used to read the scriptures in English to a whole room full of Jewish people, and they had never heard them in English before. They always listened to them in, um, um, in Hebrew. And if they don't speak Hebrew, they don't know what on earth the rabbi is saying, but they have heard it for so long, they understand the cadence, they understand the rhythm. So they understand that the men will stand up at certain times and say amen and sit down again. And so it's just a procedure that they go through. But as far as imparting information, they don't do it. And at the end of it, the, the, the rabbi will give a little homily um, relating to the piece of, uh, of the, the past, uh, the, the part of the um, Torah that they've just read for that day. And it's a homily. And I've heard some of the homilies and uh, not good. I'm just, that's all I'll say, they're not good. Um, and so the Jewish people who should be more aware of what's happening now are the people who are least in the know about the times that they're living in. And it was such a buzz and I for Sue and I as we drove away from that cafe today to have shared with someone and she's so anxious now to find out what's really happening. She is coming to Gentiles to get the truth. It's absolutely amazing, seriously. Um, and in verse 12 in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, we labour, that's we labour with our hands because we don't want to be a burden to you and therefore an object of your ridicule. ridicule. In, in, um, in verse 12, he says that we labour working with our own hands. So we're on the same basis as everyone else in, in the congregation. We don't come to you as visitors. We don't expect to be treated like um, uh, esteemed guests. We come and we join in with you and we are partakers of your lifestyle. And he said, being reviled as they preach the gospel at every opportunity, people will attack them and attack them and attack them. And, you know, um, you know yourself, although the times that we're living in now has given us more opportunity than I have ever known in my Christian life. 
people will at least say what's going on and they'll listen to you if you say it's in the Bible, whether they accept it or not. There is a willingness in some people now to actually listen to your explanation. Whereas 10 years ago, 20 years ago, life was so good that it, they just weren't interested. And uh, one, of the, one of the commentators I was listening to this week on this particular passage, um, he's not shy about coming forward with the gospel. And he is in, uh, has spent all of his life in California. And he said that in his own um, uh, suburb that he lived in, Orange County in Los Angeles, um, he would walk into his barber, he would walk into um, uh, his uh, local supermarket, and it would be quite obvious to him that people would turn their backs on him because they knew what was going to happen. He would use any opportunity to share Jesus with them, and they just didn't want to know. And he told them off for uh, his barber got really cross with him. I think he found he actually had to go and find another barber because um, he was criticizing the fact that there were magazines there that the customers could read that you know should have been in brown paper bags away in another room. Um, and also that the language that was spoken in the barber shop, he said, you know, I find that offensive. And the barber attacked him and said, you're ruining my business. Every time you come in, people leave. And, and at the end of the day, you know, this, he, he, he was really um, associating this, this uh, verse 12. He said, because I preach the gospel, you know, some people just react in such a way that he can, he's at one with Paul in this, being reviled, he still tries to bless people with the message of salvation. And being persecuted, he just carries on through because he knows that, that, that his time on this earth is such a short time. And when he stands before Jesus, um, he wants to be able to say, I did what you asked me to do, what I was required to do. I've run the race and I've completed it. And, uh, you know, it, it's just absolutely amazing. And being reviled and being persecuted is not, is not um, solely uh, to do with Paul. Uh, in James 1.12, if we've got it, Eric, James um, 1.12. Yeah, James 1.12, we have, blessed is the man who endures, temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who loved him and the commentator that I was listening to this week um, because I quite like his take on some of these things he said the temptation here is not to do wrong the temptation for many of us when we're in a situation where we can share the gospel the temptation is to not share it is to pull back and to be um, um, uh, beaten down by the spirit that's in that particular situation where, because he said most human beings like to be liked. Most people want to be um, friends among friends. 
And the problem being is that when you preach the gospel, I mean, there are ways you can do it that, that you know, aren't offensive, but the very message of the gospel is something that most people, for some reason, don't want to hear. And I, I can say that um, quite, quite openly because, um, you know, for all the time before I got saved, I was not interested in the gospel. You know, I got dragged along to church over the years and I'd sit there and I'd listen and it would go in one ear and out the other. And then as soon as I got out, I'd go back and, and go back to living the life that I had. And the big problem that we have in the West is that we have had up until 2020 such a good life, such a wonderful life, that we thought, what do we need the gospel for? We've got a good life. And we didn't really, we weren't really uh, fixated on what was going to happen after death because the problem with a lot of people who are enjoying a good life, they kid themselves that they're never going to die. And I certainly was one of those people because until I was told that I had stage four cancer, I didn't think I was going to die. But when you walk out of the doctor's surgery that, on that particular day and you're told that you're facing trials, you suddenly realize that there's going to be a full stop at the end of your life at some stage. And it becomes a reality to you. But unless you face that situation, I know that myself, I kidded myself, I knew that theoretically I was going to die one day, but it was never a reality to me until I faced my own particular trial. And so that really humbled me and it gave me um, uh, a, a desire to, to share with people in a, in a way that says, everyone is going to face this situation, whether naturally or by other means, and you have to understand that you have to make a decision because you've only got two options. And if they ask you, you tell them and you lead them through. Um, but it is a privilege to be able to, in these days at least, to share the gospel, to share Jesus and to share the option uh, that they can have, which is eternal life or the other option. And, and you know, unfortunately, have you seen um, um, the bumper stickers sometimes over the years where, um, you know, they actually boast that they're going to party in hell or something like that? You've seen bumper stickers on the backs of cars or on the backs of the windows where they make a joke of it. Uh, and, and really, they're, they're kidding themselves that um, they're in total control. Uh, and, and it's, this is, this is what, Paul is trying to get through to the Corinthians because they find it very hard, even as believers, to divorce themselves from the culture that they lived in because Corinth was a fabulously rich city. It had a, 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 a num the numbers of people that would come from all over the Mediterranean there to trade, to, um, um, to interact with the, the Corinthian people, um, to take part in the games, this incredible lifestyle that they had, um, where the believers were in that mix, they were in 
church one day and they're in the world the next day. The church one day and in the world the next day. And Paul was trying to shake them from this and said, you're but babes in Christ and I want you to grow up. And um, in verse uh, 13, um, uh, he's saying that he continues that passage on from, from verse 12 because he says, being defamed, we plead because people will hurl insults at him. Um, you know, it, there's a passage there in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 12 where it lists all of the things that happened to Paul over his uh, ministry time. Um, you know, he was um, five times given the lash, 40 minus one. Can you imagine being lashed 39 times just for preaching the gospel? He was um, shipwrecked at sea. He was in the water fearing for his life. Um, all of these incredible things that Paul um, suffered. And I think that we in the West find it very hard to understand. Um, and so can I unmute um, Pastor Devadas for, for a moment, um, Eric? Um, Devadas, are you there? Sir, yes, sir. Okay. Please. Can, can you... Can you privilege us by um, sharing with us what you face when you are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in your community? What happens with you? Yeah, actually, in our community, it means, uh, you know, sir, in India, there are many caste systems, upper caste, low caste, yeah. untouchable area, like this we have, sir. Yeah. So if you put gospel meeting, it means publicly, it means in air, uh, open air. There is no problem, sir. Nominal Christians, Christians, uh, some people who love Jesus as one of the gods. So all these people come and listen, sir. But if you go to upper caste area, it means... It is very close, just walkable distance. If you go to upper caste area and preach the gospel, immediately they interrupt us, they uh, make some troubles to us. Just they told us, you don't need to preach here. You can go some Dalit areas, downcast areas, untouchable areas. You can go and teach there. No need, God. We have many gods. We no need gospel. We no need Jesus. They told like that, sir. Like that, sir. Are you ever in physical danger when you go to the upper caste? Uh, no, uh, no, sir. Actually, physical attempt, no, sir. Just to they, actually, if they said like that, automatically sometimes. So, uh, we will be and just we uh, we just overcome this, sir. Just we side, sir, only we just come and side and go to other place. All right, well, I mean, you're very fortunate. I think you, I think you must have angels around you that are protecting you in your work, and it's it's such a blessing to have you on uh, here with us because we get that perspective that um, they're quite happy for you to teach to the lower caste or the untouchables. The, yes, the Haria, to stay away from the upper caste. Um, is that Hindus and Sikhs or just Hindus? 
yeah the upper caste means most of the people hindus sir and muslims uh, yeah. muslims to uh, like christians that minority in india but yeah. the upper caste it means all the people belongs to upper caste sir hindus yeah yeah okay. many uh, by god's grace uh, please give 1 minute or 2 minutes to my brother das sir he is doing his ministry upper caste area sir yeah yeah well look um um hopefully that this association enables us to bless you uh, when you're preaching i'm hoping that we can get those tegalu bibles to you as soon as possible um yes sir and we are able to help you in your your um yes. share to to people in your community you see i i i today that we've we've reached out to unsaved jews today you're reaching yes. out to the people in your community so we're all working together doing these things in in obedience to jesus christ and i think that's absolutely brilliant and yes sir thank you sir so in in finishing off verse 13 um paul says we have been now this is strong language we have been made as the filth of the world the offscouring of all things until now um the offscouring it's you, it's it's a cooking term you know if you burn something in a pot and it all goes black and you have to scrape it off with a metal object and and clean it off the base of the the pot and then you know tip it out that's off scouring it's the burnt remnants of cooked food and you know paul is uh, seriously um putting himself so far below what the corinthians are able to to um uh, comprehend a christian speaking because he's trying to shock them out of their vanity he's trying to shock them and sober them up because uh some of the people in the church who are upper class christians and who are intellectuals or people from privileged parts of society this is shaking them to the to to the core because as apostles they would expect paul and timothy and everyone else to come to them and and lord it over them which is what they do in their natural um um society that there is you know there is status within society and people lorded over one another but paul is saying no um you know he's he's describing himself the apostles as filth of the world and offscouring of all things until now and you know seriously uh paul still encounters opposition from the corinthian church in part because the upper class christians in the city cannot accept what he's saying um in these passages and then paul comes in verse 14 he says to them i do not write these things to shame you but as my beloved children i warn you and for the start this is the first time in this passage where paul um calls these uh, these corinthian believers his spiritual children and really when you when we've finished this uh, first letter to the corinthians you just have to come away with absolute amazement at paul's relationship with these people 
because what they've been up to, um, what they get up to, uh, and Paul still calls them his beloved children. And that's why this passage is called spiritual fatherhood, because there's a difference between just coming into a church and teaching as opposed to coming into a church and loving the flock the way the Father in heaven loves that flock because we are all children of God. And Paul is saying that you, you Corinthians, are my beloved children and I'm warning you, I'm exhorting you, I'm trying to lift you up. And, and one, of the, one of the passages in the scripture that I chose for that particular um, uh, phrase is Psalm 37 verses 23 to 24. Because what Paul is saying in that second part of that verse, he's saying, you are Christians, you are stumbling, you are falling down, but look what God says to you. And in Psalm 37, 23 to 24, and it's one that we sing as a song, the steps of a good man, a righteous man, are ordered by the Lord, and he, the Father, delights in his way. And verse 24 is one I, I really hang on to. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Why? Because his Father in heaven upholds him personally with his hand. The phrase there is for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And I don't know how many times you have sung that, but there was one uh, congregation I was in 20 years ago and we used to sing it, you know, every four or five weeks. And, uh, you know, it's the steps of a good man. They're ordered by you and I. And even though we stumble, even though we fail, God always reaches down and lifts us back up again. Why? Because we have an eternal destiny that we cannot avoid. Um, you and I are going to heaven, um, uh, brothers and sisters, you and I are going to heaven. And one day we'll be able to look each other in the eye when we're up there and look back on the times when we shared this time of fellowship, we shared this time of um, learning through his word. And we also look at the examples that the scriptures have given us. And Paul is one of the most amazing examples. You know, he... he um, suffered all the way through his ministry, in particular, with an eye disease. And uh, I, I still maintain, this, this is my thesis, some people agree with it, some people don't, not my thesis, a lot of, a lot of commentators um, um, uh, warm to this idea, is that on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by the light and then eventually, uh, when he was in Damascus and, and uh, the guy prayed for him, that these scales fell from his eyes. But from there on in, um, Paul was um, um, struck down by this eye disease such that, um, that one of his congregations even said that they loved him so much they wished they could pluck their own eyes out and give them to Paul. So, you know, he was not only physically um, um, assaulted, physically punished, um, jailed, beaten, and everything else, but he had this massive problem with his eyesight, and that is why he always had to be traveling with someone. Um, and it, 
you know, I want to meet Paul one day. I just want to stand in front of him and said and say to him, or just even look at him, do you know what I mean? Because being privileged, well, I say it's a privilege to be born in the West. I didn't choose that. I didn't vote for it. But we have never had to suffer like other Christians um, have had to suffer. And uh, But I tell you what, as I raised uh, the point in, in church on Sunday that, um, you know, the governors of California, the governor of California uh, has ordered um, churches to shut again and he's threatening to arrest um, um, people like John MacArthur. And if he's going to go after John MacArthur, I can bet you he, he'll probably go after people like Jack Hibbs and everyone else. So for the first time in, in our lives as Western Christians, we're facing persecution for our faith from the government. It's just absolutely unbelievable that we're facing this from the government. And, it's, and, and my wife and I um, were talking about this today, and, and she said, well, bring it on, because I'd rather be in the battle than waiting for it. It's waiting for these things that, that, that is really the hardest thing to go through. Um, and I said to her, well, be, be careful what you ask for, because it's out there in the, on the horizon. And it's going to be a test for all of us. Um, I think in, in Western Australia, we are so blessed at the moment. Uh, I think we have a premier that um, has amazed me, especially uh, with the party he's, came, he's come from. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there are greater forces at work who just want to do away with Christians and Jews at the moment. And, and this is one of the things that my wife said to her friend at lunchtime today. She said, do you now see that now Christians are being joined with Jews and we're being attacked by secular society? And, um, and this lady had to agree that we seem, we seem to be lumped together now uh, and uh, she thought that was amazing, and, and she's still trying to grasp this, that white, white Christians are being picked on the same way as Jews. And, and Sue said to her, she said, because we both worship the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they know about is the God that we love and have him as our father. And, and Sue repeated that to this lady today, and she just could not. It was like the scales came off her eyes today, and she saw that she didn't see a Gentile friend. She saw someone who worships the same God as she and her husband does. And it was just an amazing time. It was just, let's just wait to see what happens. Um, yeah, I mean, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, I think between now and Christmas time, we're going to be in for an amazing time. And verse 15, we, we look at it and say, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, that's teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, Paul says, I have begotten you through the gospel. And it's almost like he looked at the Corinthian um, congregation as his children. And I can see Daryl on the, on the screen at the moment. And Daryl, I mean, 
as a pastor, you look at your congregation and, you know, you do regard them as, you know, your beloved children. It's just something that's supernatural that is given to a pastor who has a love for his congregation. And, you know, I'm getting a nod. I'm getting a nod. You, it, 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 I tell you what, it's supernatural. It's supernatural, but it's real and it exists. And, you know, now Sue and I are just totally and utterly dedicated um, um, seven days a week to, to serve the congregation at Calvary Chapel, Perth. And um, believe you me, you lot are giving us plenty of opportunity <laughs> to serve you seven days a week because lots are going on, lots of things are going on in your life. And, uh, you know, we were at uh, Charlie Gardner's um, yesterday uh, visiting um, someone who's uh, not in a good way. Um, and that's been part of our ministry for many years. Um, not someone from the congregation, but someone that we've been um, very close to over a number of times. So, you know, um, being a pastor isn't standing up the front for about an hour and a half on a Sunday. Believe me, a pastor who has a love for his congregation and, and is reverentially fearful of the responsibility that God has given him. It's a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job. And, uh, you know, we have to be ready for anything at any time. And this is what Paul is, is passing on to this Corinthian church, that though you've got all of these problems, for you've got 10,000 people wanting to try and teach you something but you have very few people who love you and want to serve you in that way. And, and that's one of my favorite verses. In fact, it would probably be one of my favorite ministry verses that you don't have many fathers who love you like your father in heaven loves me or you together. And I keep trying to get across to the congregation all of the time that your father in heaven loves you. And, and, you know, there's several people both inside the church and outside the church that we know keep um, texting us, um, you know, doubting this and doubting that and doubting the next thing and don't think they're good enough to be Christians even though they say they believe. And so we just give them the scriptures that, that, that really um, should build them up in the areas that they have doubt in, their, the, the they, they consider themselves unworthy for some reason, even though they've given their life to Jesus and, and they know they have um, a father up there in heaven somewhere. Um, but, you know, one person in particular has a terrible relationship with their father and they find it very difficult to listen to biblical truth that says he up there on the throne loves you. And, and they say, well, prove it to us. And I said, well, look, the simplest one that everyone knows off by heart is John 3.16. And they say, well, what is that? And I said, so God, for God so loved the whole world. And guess what? You're part of the whole world. You're part of this creation that God loves. And so he gave his only son for you that whomsoever should believe in him shall would not perish but have everlasting life. And so they think about it and they think about it. But, you know, we're there for them all the time. We're, we're there and, and we never walk away from them. 
And, and that's something that you sometimes need supernatural strength for to keep going because um, you just struggle to understand why so many people have difficulty believing that there is a God who loves them. Because, uh, you know, I've asked these people in the past, what's your, what's your picture of God? And it's always a very authoritarian sort of frowning huge um, personage up there on a, on a um, throne um, waiting to punish them for something. And I said, that's not the God of the Bible. That's not your father in heaven. That is not someone who sent his son to die in your place. And you need to understand that. And this is what Father that the Paul is saying, that you are my children to the Corinthians. I have begotten you through the gospel. And uh, in Romans uh, 15, 14, for instance, he's admonishing them to grow up. He's admonishing the, Chris, the Corinthian um, Christians to start looking through spiritual eyes, not carnal eyes. And, and one of the verses I've plucked out is Romans 15, 14. For I am myself confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. And this is the way you do um, build one another up in, in, uh, in, in Christian fellowship because you have come to us and said that you're helping other people in the, in the congregation. And that's what fellowship is all about. It's the, one of the best things around. And Ephesians 6, 4, and you... Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. As heads of the family, we, we are supposed to have the same attitude to our kids that Paul has to the Corinthian believers. And, um, you know, I've just had my birthday just recently. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the blessings is that I've got um, a, a son and a daughter in their 30s, I absolutely love them to bits and, you know, they love me to bits and it's one of these times when, though busy, we get together and the funny thing is, you know, they live, you know, quite a distance um, right up the north of the city and, and, and over to the east and I have never, ever, ever, ever put pressure on them to come to Calvary Chapel, Perth because... They had their own churches. They had their own friends and fellowship. But the funny thing is they both told me on, um, on Saturday that they, once they get home from church, they log on and, and watch our, our, our service um, again. Um, and uh, it, it amazes me that although they enjoy fellowship and they've had longstanding friendships, that they're just joining in our online um, uh, presentations. Why? Because they love their dad and they and they honour him as as their dad and they honour him because of the way that he has loved them for 35 years. 
And this is the whole thing that, that, that Paul's trying to get through to these, these people. I have begotten you through the gospel. I love you as a father. And so I, I'm going to care for you and, and, and warn you and admonish you and teach you and bring you up so that you can be the best that you can be in Jesus. And that's all we can do. And, um, you know, it's been an amazing four weeks for me, it really. The, the, the opportunities that we've had to share the gospel, especially to, to um, that surprises me, Jewish people, these are amazing times that we live in. They really are. Um, and in verse 16, he's telling these Corinthians, therefore, I urge you, imitate me, and for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you. Now, Paul's writing this from Ephesus. So because of his love for the Corinthian church and for his um, sense of urgency about what's going on in this church, he sent on ahead of himself Timothy. And he said, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. And he's saying that because he holds Timothy in the same loving way as he holds the Corinthian believers. So he's saying, when I send Timothy to you, he's one of you and he's one that I have begotten to the gospel into the body of Christ the same way I, I uh, begot you as, as a father. And, um, and so he said, "Who he's sending Timothy to these guys to remind them of Paul's lifestyle as a Christian. And Paul says, I teach this everywhere in every church. And so he wants to, uh, these people to be imitators of him in humility, not in vanity, in service, not in demanding to be served, as, as base people prepared to take the animosity of society, but to get out there and preach the gospel. And, and uh, you know, it's tough. No one wants to be rejected. No one wants to be ridiculed. No one wants to be verbally attacked. But seriously, um, if you ask for opportunities, and I, and, and I can remember Laura um, was just sharing about a book that she read called Tactics, about taking those opportunities to um, respond to uh, occasions when the Holy Spirit gives you that opportunity to, um, to just say Jesus, to say that he died for you, to say that if you believe in him, there is an amazing future that you have in heaven and you have eternal life. And, and Paul is, is um, sending Timothy on to encourage these Corinthians to live a lifestyle that not only Paul will be pleased with when he gets there, but also that it's pleasing to God. You know, that's our ultimate responsibility to really be um, um, pleasing to God. And I, and I pray all of the time that our services on Sunday, our worship, our, our fellowship, um, because it's all part of, of Christian life. And even these Bible studies, that they're pleasing to God because we're dealing with his word. We're going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that we're edified to be built up, so that we take away from these um, um, studies 
the opportunity to share this information with other people who ask you questions. And in verse 18, Paul says, some of you, now some of you are puffed up, that is vain, as though I were not coming to you. And those um, who are puffed up, he's saying he will come to you and I will know you not by the boasting words that you are saying, but I want to witness the power of the Holy Spirit through you and, and see if you're presenting it to the, to, the, um, to the congregation. And he's saying this as a repeat in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 to 5, and I'm going to repeat this again because this should be the bedrock of what we do in our fellowship with one another and in our um, relationship with unsaved people. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I'll tell you what, um, um, and Daryl will relate to this, anyone else that's been able to preach and teach um, people that, Sometimes you sit down and you get feedback from people later on that something touched them while you were speaking um, and you're saying, that's amazing because I thought my message was going to have this effect, but in reality it's had a different effect to some of the listeners and they've got closer to God, they've understood something more or they've had the boldness to go out and speak to their next door neighbor because they've now been waiting for the inspiration to give it to them. And so um, the leading of the Holy Spirit, I, I can tell you in all honesty, um, sometimes my uh, wife will say to me uh, why don't you do this or why don't you do that i think this is a good idea and and she means it in the in, in the most um beneficial way but i have learned over the years when i've been um, part of a, a christian um, body i really do wait on the holy spirit to say yes now is the time to not go ahead of myself in the flesh and to do something that I just don't get in my spirit that it's the time yet for it. Um, and, and this is, you know, when you read this little passage like Paul says, you know, I'm not coming up with um, intellectually brilliant um, presentations. I'm just saying the basics that the Holy Spirit gives you. And, and uh, you know, it's sometimes the simplest messages have the most power. Um, 
Um, and, and this is what people, uh, Paul is saying here to the Corinthians in this particular passage, that it's the power in the message that you preach that the Holy Spirit has given you, not um, some PhD level um, intellectual thing that uh, turns a lot of people off. And in verses 20 and 21, we see in this particular passage, as we come to the close of, of chapter four, and, and next week we get into the nitty gritty of what's going on in this church. And Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not in word. And by the way, he's meaning um, human intellectual thought processes but it's in power, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And believe me, if there's someone who can demonstrate that power in the, in the Holy Spirit, it's Paul, because he's so weak, he's so feeble, he's so buffeted by physical um, um, illness or, or, or um, uh, you know, um, disability, that it's only the Holy Spirit that can work through him and have effect on the congregations that he uh, has started. And, you know, he started in Jerusalem. He went up to Antioch, and then he went all the way through Asia Minor. He went all the way through Bithynia. He went all the way through Macedonia. And now he finds himself, after being in Athens and Greece, and he's now down in Corinth. Um, and yet he could barely keep himself alive sometimes. And yet what impelled him onwards was the necessity to release to the outside what God had put on, on the inside of him. And he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you right now, and I can bet you anything you like, um, Daryl will back me up here. As a pastor, sometimes you wonder how you get through certain <laughs> weeks or periods of time. Um, if it weren't for the power of the Holy Spirit just carrying you along and getting you to the end, because it, sometimes it feels like um, all hell's broken loose and is trying to stop you from doing the things that you know that God wants you to do. And, and understanding what Paul has been through, um, I just consider myself in no way as buffeted as what Paul did, and I'm in awe of what he um, uh, achieved in his life. But, you know, as someone who was personally tutored by Jesus himself, I can understand what would impel him to keep going until his life was at an end. And it finally came to an end when he finally reached Rome and he was... Um, a prisoner in, in Caesar's household for two years. He was released for a little while, then re-arrested. Um, um, and he knew the second time that his time was up. But even then, he wrote this beautiful letter to Timothy. It's, it's the second letter to Timothy. And he says, my time has come. I'm being poured out as a drink offering, but I have run the race I have done what the Lord has asked of me. And I tell you what, whatever the Lord has for me, I would love it to be at the end of my life to say to myself, and not to boast to anyone else, but to say to myself, Lord, I've run the race. I've done what you've asked me to do. 
Um, and now I just commit myself into your hands. And Paul finishes off this particular passage in, in, with verse 21 and saying, what do you want? He's saying to the Corinthians, you choose. Shall I come to you with authority, with a rod, or do you want me to come to you in love and a spirit of gentleness? And uh, Paul would much rather come to them in the other in the gentle option rather than come with or rod. But as we see later in this letter, he has to get very firm with an a small group of people that just could not accept Paul in his physical reality with all of his infirmities uh, and, and his, his apostolic calling and his knowledge and his teaching. They couldn't, they couldn't match the two together, so they would ridicule him. And so he has such a battle amongst the Corinthian uh, church over the next few years. But... Uh, he writes them another letter, uh, he visits them, he um, uh, upbraids them um, and, and uh, comes to them in the, in the expression of the power of the Holy Spirit and he wins in the end. But it's a lesson to all of us um, that uh, unless the Holy Spirit's in the business, we're just wasting our time. And, uh, you know, that's what I uh, rely on. That's what um, I know Daryl relied on when he was pastor of Calvary Chapel, Perth. If you're not doing it in the power of the spirit, if you're doing it in the power of the flesh, it's going to go nowhere. And um, in, in, in bringing that to, to an end, next week is when we get into the real meat of the letter uh, that he's going to address them to. And, and I tell you what, as we work through the next few chapters, it stings all of us because Paul addresses so many things that have affected us in our Christian lives. You know, we get up to spiritual gifts. Um, we get up to uh, um, behaviour at the communion table. Uh, we get up to the fact that um, such is their behaviour that uh, the Lord has to discipline them quite severely. Uh, but he still loves them and they still end up in heaven. But, uh, you know, we, as we get through this letter, it's just um, a, an amazing look at what churches can get up to and still be the children of the living God. And I stand in awe. I stand in awe of my Father in heaven that he has such love for us when, you know, from time to time, we just let him down. Um, but as he says, you know, the steps of a good man are ordered by him. And if we stumble and we fall, God still lifts us up. And he lifts us up through each one another. You and I, um, we go out and we reach out to people who are doing it tough within the congregation and other people. And we lift them up. We encourage them. We give them um, material support. It's all about being a Christian in a body, in a fellowship, waiting for the Lord to come back for us. And uh, with that, I'll finish. And if you want to unmute yourself and ask me anything or comment, comment please do. You're welcome. Oh, Scott, I can see you.
Hey, buddy, are you are, are you are you down at Bunbury or yeah, down, down in Bunbury? Um, Chelsea's yeah. listening in as well. She's just gone to make Hunterson toast late yeah. nights. <laughs> Great to see you. Great to see. You. Where's your mum? Can your mum see you? I saw her before. There she is. There she, she is. Still she hasn't won. figured out how to get rid of iPad on her name though. By the looks. <laughs> Oh, it's good to see you, buddy. How, long, how much longer are you down there for? Um, uh, two more, uh, three weeks. Three, three weeks. weeks. And yeah. how's, it, how's it been down there? It's, it's really nice. Yeah, beach views from the office. Uh, can't complain. So, yeah, if an opportunity comes up, I might come down here for good. No, you can't. Do. You'll have to apply to the uh, leadership of Calvary Chapel, personally. <laughs> Well, we're actually planning on coming back to Perth the weekend, so we might be uh, we might be seeing you on Sunday. Oh, that'd be wonderful! That's brilliant. It'd be so, great. Yeah. All right. Good. And um, Laura, Lynn, how are you? Now she's got to lean forward and unmute herself. There she goes. Great teaching, Stuart. Thanks very much. You're welcome. I've known just how things going. You okay? You're travelling well. Me. Yeah. Yep. Travelling well. Yeah, right. everything's going fine. Thanks. <laughs> and we've yeah. got CG. You're still with us from Cincinnati. Yeah. CG doesn't like being on a, on on camera. Um, so, but that's fine. It's just wonderful that you're still there. Um, yeah, I'm still here. Sorry, I um, I'm also working. So. <laughs> oh. oh. Um, well, I, I oh look, someone changed my <laughs> camera shy. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> well, that's very true, though. That's that's excellent. Who did that? Was that you, or was that our technical expert? The technical expert. <laughs> I thought you were being um, self-descriptive, CG, but uh, we'll put that one down to Eric or John. No, no, I'm I'm sorry, but I do confess that I was multitasking. Um, It's 8.30 here, um, so I had to do my work, have projects due, so was listening and working, doing both. But, um, yeah, that does describe me, camera shy. No, that's fine. That's fine. Listen, um, you know, when COVID came and uh, these two technical guys of mine and Oscar and part of the AV team and they had these horrible beady little round sort of lenses staring at you, it took me a long time to get used to it. So, Siji, I'm with you. I understand completely. Um, uh, you know, I still I still find it hard to to um, um, realize what we're doing all around the world. Um, and Laura, how's the how's the tactics book? How's it going for you at the moment? Are you are you putting it into practice? I am. It what? takes a little while to get used to because all I want to do is put out information, but now I've got to pull back and listen. So today I was um, having a deep tissue massage and we were having an amazing conversation (laughs) about um, Jesus and, yeah, lots, lots of stuff. And it was quite amazing. So it was good. Yeah, it was really good. 
are you finding it now? It's so much easier to mention Jesus and, and, and to talk about, you know, like Christian things with people who are unsaved. Uh, sometimes, um, there was another opportunity this afternoon. Um, there's been a death in the family and I was sharing that at our dental clinic because my auntie was a patient and I was just sharing how we just have to be ready and do we know about eternity? And there's just a dentist and a nurse there who just, you know, they just don't want to hear about it. And um, I asked them a couple of questions, but you just get shut down. So, and that's okay. That's fine. That's where they're at. But then with, and then at the same time in the afternoon with my massage therapist, oh my gosh, he wanted to hear and questioning me more than anything. So it was, Interesting yeah. day, a really good day. Yeah, I mean, has anyone got else any got some comments about what's been happening during the week with um, the opportunities that, that you might have had? I mean, our one today with the Jewish lady was just amazing. I mean, she just couldn't get enough of it. Um, and and uh, mm-hmm. terribly happy with that. I was really happy with that. So, um, so if you, if, you know, you might hear me say um, shalom, as well as the South African greeting, which I'm now practicing. <laughs> so if there's, a, if there's the odd shalom, you'll know why, because there's a Jewish couple, unsaved Jewish couple will be watching on, on Sunday, and, uh, and it's going to be amazing because, uh, you know, it's a, they don't get told the scriptures when they go to a synagogue. It, they they don't exit the rabbis don't exegete the word they just repeat it year after year after year after year and give a little homily and that's it it's like you know the Christian um, um, pro- practice of three three points in a in a poem um, and you walk away saying you know what was all that about I loved it when I went to church you know 20 25 years ago if someone spoke and you had to chew on it for the rest of the week, you know, because that's what, that's what good teaching does that you, you, uh, you know, you spend the rest of the week meditating and working on that word. And, and it, it, it's like nourishment to you. And sometimes, um, you, you know, you walk away and feel, feel like you've been handed um, a cone of fairy floss and every time you try and bite into it, it just disappears from in front of you. Um, and, and, uh, you know, um, I know what I, I know what I prefer. Give me a good spiritual stake any day so that, uh, we can keep going. So listen, um, thank you all for coming in, uh, for, um, coming online and, um, I better start going and getting my wife because when I get her home, I then have to cook her tea. So I'll still be working at about 10 o'clock tonight. So, um, thank you all.